This morning we are uh, moving forward uh, in our study of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And as I will probably mention every week while we're here, um, it is vitally important that we not see what he is saying as a new set of commandments or rules and regulations. Jesus is talking about and describing two kinds of life that are present, around, and available to us. The first kind of life that we've talked about, the most familiar life, the easy life, is the perishing life. This is life focused around me, having the world the way I want it, the way I think is best for me and which ultimately leads to isolation and destruction. The second kind of life that's a little less familiar and, and a little hard is God's kind of life, or eternal life, as Jesus often calls it. And this is life focused around having the world the way God wants it, the way of love and what is best for others and which comes through Jesus and is the only true life. It's not a life someday. It's a life that's going on right now. In fact, it's been going on and will continue to go on. And he is inviting us to that life and for us to be those who invite others to it as well. In the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to talk about some pretty messy and destructive aspects of human relationships and the human heart that are essentially expressions and pictures of the perishing life. He's going to talk about anger and contempt, abuse, unrestrained desire, lust, adultery, divorce, Verbal manipulation, revenge, retaliation, cursing, coercing, and begging. Hey, it's all the stuff of TV movies and the daily news and the life all around us. But before we head there, I want us to first consider our own personal experience with one of these things. And, and if you would, trust me, uh, with this exercise, I'd like to invite you to close your eyes. And I'd like to welcome you simply to be still. I'd like you to attempt to clear your mind of all the stuff that's present there. And connect with God in a, a place of peace, of stillness. Now I want you to reflect on memories of your life. I want you to remember a time, and this may be hard, when someone was really angry at you. A time when someone was so mad, they were yelling, they were speaking harsh, mean, cursing words. 
Can you remember what was it you were feeling? What was happening in your body? What were the thoughts going through your mind? And now I want you to take a deep breath and let it out and let that memory go. Let it float past. Allow God's love, mercy, and forgiveness to wash over you, over your mind, over your feelings, and over your body. Release that to him. Now I want you to reflect again on memories of your life. But this time I want you to remember a time when you were really angry at someone. Where you were really mad, perhaps yelling, perhaps speaking harsh, mean, or cursing words. And what did you feel when that was happening, when that was present in you? What was happening in your body? What were the thoughts going through your mind? Again, I want you just to take a deep breath and let it out as you let that memory go by. Allow God's love and mercy and forgiveness to wash over you and to free you from those entanglements, thoughts, and feelings. You can open your eyes. As difficult and painful as that probably was, I want us to understand that those experiences of anger, whether someone else's targeted us or our own, are examples of the perishing life. They are the experiences of brokenness in relationships, brokenness in ourself, rejection, withdrawal, and they shred the world every single day. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm reminded of that early Friday morning of what we call Easter week where you stood in a crowd 
with hundreds, perhaps thousands of people jeering at you, laughing, mocking, yelling, screaming profanities. And you stood. Having the power to have called down 10,000 angels to deliver and free you, to bring revenge, to sweep them away. Yet you stood. And you took that for us. As we reflect today and consider and hear your words, would you help us to, to lay hold of what is your heart for us in this topic and in our life? Holy Spirit, we need your help here for sure. Would you bring to light what you wish to bring to light? Would you bring life where there is perishing? In Jesus' name, let it be so. Before reading and discussing our, our text, um, I want to highlight something that is really important to keep in mind when discussing the kinds of things that we're going to be looking at. In Matthew 15, 18 through 19, Jesus is discussing some of the Jewish laws related to foods. And he says to his disciples and to those Jewish leaders, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these are what defile a person. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. Now, while Jesus is, of course, concerned about our actions, he understands that our actions are coming from what's in our heart. So when Jesus addresses the issues, he does, it, he does in his teaching, he does not target, target the uh, curtailing the actions. His focus is not behavior modification. But he targets the issues of our heart that are causing those actions. In other words, Jesus is targeting our interior person, knowing that if who we are on the inside is changed, our outward actions will follow. So here's our text for this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will stand condemned before the law. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with another 
will stand condemned before the law. Whoever says to someone, Racha, will stand condemned before the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you idiot, will be condemned to the fire of Gehenna. Now for sure, murder is a heinous act. And when we hear of it, our hearts are filled with emotion. Not murdering is a really good thing. I hope you maintain that in your life. But few of us seriously consider murder, though we may have thought about it. I wish you were dead. Jesus, understanding the nature of rules and laws, decides to talk about the more preliminary elements that when grow and advance, become extreme and lead to, can lead to something as horrible as murder. In this passage, Jesus identifies a progression from negative thoughts related to and what he speaks of as anger, to verbal contempt, racha, which has to do with spitting on someone, to hateful, vile cursing. You idiot, as in the translated text here. So I want to look at each one of these in this progression. Not so much the consequence, although I did work on the fire of Gehenna, I'll share it sometime with you. It was very, very interesting, much more unique than I thought. But anyway, Jesus' point is not so much that the uh, outcome of judgment is increasing, but that the amount of life is being lost. So I'm just going to focus on those three progressions of the personal experience. I want to talk about issues of the heart, starting with anger. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says, In its simplest form, anger is a spontaneous response that has a vital function in life. And as such, it is not wrong. It's a feeling that seizes us in our body and immediately impels us toward interfering with and possibly even harming those who have thwarted our will and interfered with our life. The primary function of anger in life is to alert me to an obstruction of my will and immediately raise alarm and resistance before I even have time to think about it. Let's consider a few of his statements. A spontaneous response. Can you all remember those occasions of spontaneous anger that erupted in your being? It isn't generally something that we... Let's see, that really was mean. I'm going to get angry. Yep, yep, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to get angry, and I, I'm, I'm going to hang on to my anger. 
Not quite. No, anger is first of all in its substance a spontaneous response. It's a feeling that seizes us in our body. Now there's some things Claire and I have been learning about personality types and assessments and uh, my personality is one of those that's, that's related around the gut, they, they speak of it. Others are around the mind and others are around the heart. I'm a gut. And literally, almost every day, I get a warning signal, a, a yellow light going off with either my heart rate or literally a feeling in the, in the pit of my stomach. And when that happens, I'm in my flesh. I'm living according to wanting the world the way I want it, or at least assessing that my will is being obstructed, and I have the opportunity, perhaps, to try and do something about it. I don't know if that makes any sense to y'all, but I, I, I'm at a point in my life where through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, I'm getting some, some warnings, some warning signs. And I think that's his heart for us, is to learn what's happening. The, the progression of these three things should be warning signs. Warning, 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 Will Robinson. Something's going on. Something's happening. Might want to take a look at this. Impels us toward interfering with those who have thwarted our will and interfered with our life. Do I need to say more? And again, he echoes, before I even have time to think about it. How many times have you heard someone say, stop it? How about, don't do that? Get out of here. Those are the words of someone who feels their will or what they want the world to look like being thwarted. Anger is our way of influencing another person to stop acting a certain way that we don't value or want happening. What's crazy about it is as soon as we express it, now we're, in, uh, we're thwarting their will. And we're in interfering with the way they want life to be. Right? Stop it. Don't do that. Anger is expressed with the intention to control our world to prevent harm and to have it the way we want it. Amazingly, the person does not have to be present for our anger to flare with the desire for that action or activity to stop. Listen to this suggestion. We can hear about someone's action reading it on the internet, hearing someone tell us a story, such as hearing about a school shooting or some type of public shooting in situation or even individuals. And besides sadness, we can immediately be gripped by anger at the person and even blurt out, how could someone have done such a thing? Anger can happen whether the person's in front of us or not. But it has to do with the world not being the way I want it. And that could be good. A shooting of this nature is not good. 
It's okay to sort of be awakened to that's not good. But the awakening needs to flip back to us and make sure and identify what is happening within us as we are relating and responding to these circumstances. And Jesus is our model for that. He did not retaliate. He did not fight back, ever. He was not the warring Messiah that they were expecting. He was the self-sacrificial Lamb of God who accepted the sin and the contempt and the anger and the violence against him to provide a means and a way for the forgiveness of the world. Because anger has at its core the intention to direct or stop someone from doing something that we don't want them to do, it is in nature aggressive and can cause hurt, fear, and defensiveness in the person at whom this anger is directed, which often, very often in our world, is anger back at the angry person. Thus, anger sparks and fuels anger. Now here, I gave us a little interaction earlier. I want to try something else. I'd like to, to uh, incorporate some thoughts from you all. What are some of the feelings that you have when someone is angry with you? Out loud, little, you know, here and there. Fear. Somebody's angry at you. What are the feelings? What are the thoughts? What's happening to you? You feel disrespected. You feel sadness. Indifferent. Ouch. That's called withdrawal. <laughs> or get you back. But anyway. Someone else? Lack of trust. Yeah, like, I'm going to get out of your way. I don't, I'm going to. Wanting to fix. Judgment. Retaliation. All right, how about feelings you have are having or have had when you've been angry? What's that side look like, feel like, if you're able? Hate. Rage. Focus. That's not fair. Did anybody say fear? Because as soon as we are aggressive and they're, yeah, it's all just. So anybody with me on that that's really probably not the eternal kind of life that Jesus wants for us? Anybody there on that one? Okay, good, good. Just thought, you know, maybe we need a little help to grasp that. Well, Jesus is not the only one in the New Testament to speak of anger. The Apostle Paul lists anger as one of the deeds of the flesh in Galatians. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Those are, that's rough stuff. Anger. 
quarrels, dimensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not enter, experience the kingdom of God, the eternal kind of life. Those things are the perishing life. It's not saying anything about your inability to to experience the eternal kind of life or that it's available to you. It's about the fact that that is the perishing life. And at the point that you are experiencing and living those things out, you are limited in your ability to experience the kingdom of God, His rule and reign of love. And these are the kinds of things that the enemy fuels and ignites that we might not experience the eternal kind of life now that God has for us, right? He also says something that lots of people like to quote at least the first part of it. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Many of the translations say, be angry, but do not sin. Well, what's that? Right, really? I mean, where's the line? Well, I think the line is, he gave us some suggestions here. They're pretty good, really. Right? Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't carry your anger forward. But we do. What happened? We know this verse. How can we give ourselves and hold on to anger? Because our heart is not right. Our heart's broken. And this idea of not letting the day end without dealing with our heart and what is happening to us. We may not be anywhere near a person who may have harmed us or that hurt us, where anger came forth. This is talking about us. I need to invite and welcome the powering presence of the Holy Spirit to cleanse and heal my heart from hurt and pain and from the anger and resentment and emotions that I was feeling. Claire and I, for a long time, had to sort of you know, practice if there had been something that happened between us, let's not let that go over to the next day. I think there came kind of a middle section of our movie marriage for 40 years now. I, maybe there was a middle section there where we just sort of started, if, uh, we'll deal with it later. And we did the normal thing, which is sort of shove it down and not deal with it. And I think now we're, we're back to the first one. In fact, in fact, now what I think is happening, which is really cool, is there, it's, while it's happening, we're, either one of us are catching ourselves. It's, it's, if it's between she and I, it, it's not going past the moment anymore, which is very cool. And it's very life-giving. It feels like God's life rather than the perishing life. But then he says, do not give the devil a foothold. Hmm. 
I always, when I do that, I, when I picture this, I picture a rock climber. I should have had a picture of one, but I didn't think about it till now. I think of a rock climber who's, who's looking for that next hole to climb higher, to get more ground, to get more height, or forward motion, either one, football. Don't give them space to lunge forward. Well, again, that's about us. And that's why Jesus is, is talking about a progression here. Because when we allow anger to sort of simmer, it's like a seed that's getting watered and nurtured. And it can take root. Anger is so much a response without thinking that Paul gives us these parameters for us to apply after the fact. I don't think be angry is really the right trend. I don't think that was the intention. I could be wrong and I could be making, you know, Scripture say what I want it to say, but what I hear here myself is more like, okay, we're going to get angry. I mean, it happens. It's spontaneous. What are you going to do when it happens? Are you going to take some action? Because just four verses Later, Ephesians chapter 4, same location, same section of material. Paul says, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander. Interesting cluster of emotions, right? Together with malice and what? Just hang on to it all. Just keep holding it in. Wipe it under the carpet. No. No, there's an alternative. There's the eternal kind of life. That's a great picture of the perishing life. But there is an alternative, which is the eternal kind of life, and that is be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Oh, my goodness, as God in Christ has forgiven me. Now, Paul knows that we... We can't do that on our own. He's not intending. Gut it out, you know, just, just, okay. No, oh God, would you bring to me your heart, your love? Would you cultivate my heart so that it becomes different, a different kind of heart like your heart? And this passage, I think, leads us to this progression that Jesus himself talks about in the passage we're looking at. Issues of the heart, contempt. Beyond the spontaneous expression of anger that is frequently simply an internal experience, not always, but can be simply something happening inside that the other person doesn't know about, Jesus identifies another level of anger, which is verbal contempt. Whoever says to someone, Racha, will stand condemned before the Sanhedrin. I I mentioned earlier that the word comes from the sound of gathering spittle to spit into somebody's face. (laughs) The word Racha was current. Matthew doesn't even translate it. That's a a, a Hebraic or Aramaic, probably Aramaic word that is not translated into Greek in that point. 
And so the translators have left the original word thinking, well, if Matthew wanted to leave the original word, then I'm going to leave the original word too. And that means what to us? Nothing. What's racha? Well, in this case, you can... <laughs> anyway. Okay, so it was, it was a main expression of contempt for someone or to mark someone as contemptible. Racha. And it's like, I don't know. I don't have parallels to this language sometimes. It's a little tough. It's going to get worse in the next one. It's beyond the intent of anger to stop someone from doing something. Contempt is now an attitude of scorn and derision, looking down upon another, minimizing their worth as a human being. And that, I think, is what you were sharing. Explain the, the metaphor you used, which was what word you said? Indifference. That sounds so nice. I'm just indifferent to him. You blankety, blankety, blank. Right? Yeah. Contempt. The intent and effect of contempt is always to exclude someone, to push them away, to leave them out, to make them isolated, alone. We hear and see it on the playground, on the field, in the workplace, at parties, and sadly even in the home and sometimes in the church. To be valued and belong is a vital human need. It's a part of our image of God. It is the experience of life in His kingdom, which is love and care and invitation and welcome. But contempt is about pushing people away. It's about scorning. It's about making myself feel better. And it always hurts. It always damages people. Contempt scorns and looks down on others. Or they look down with love. Spitting on the value and worth of another human being and leads to the next statement of Jesus. Issues of the heart, hateful, vile, cursing. Whoever says, you idiot, will be condemned to the fire of Gehenna. The word translated idiot or fool is way too tame for what Jesus is referencing in this statement. The words today would be words we, I can't say here. I, I put sort of like the first part of a word with dot, 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 and some uh, letters to sort of, and I shared it to Clara, and she says, no, no, not going not gonna. to. So the, the, what I came up with was, you blankety, 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 blank, but fill in the blanks. We have horrific language that is hateful, vile, cursing. They are words filled with hate and malice that are always spoken, always yelled with the intention to hurt, degrade, demean, and to kill the life within another person. And from this disrespect, from this disdain, from this belittling, abuse 
and physical brutality are not far away. When Claire and I were in Hawaii last month, yes, it was wonderful. We were walking from where we were staying uh, to the beach that was next door to it. Uh, somewhat of a small beach, but probably still five, six, seven hundred people crammed into this thing or out in the water and on the streets, walking around. And uh, a man uh, called out from the beach side, standing near a car. He called out to a man that was on the other side of the street, just a two-lane street, but cars parked along because there's hundreds of people parking everywhere. Uh, the man calls out to him in a soft-spoken kind of, con I might suggest, contrite or even considerate manner. I don't remember the words, but I remember the attitude. The response of the man on the other side of the street was to turn around, vengeance in his face, getting red and yelling, Get out of here! The first man attempted to reply, still soft-spoken. The other man then at that point began crossing the street, walking towards him rapidly, raising his voice even more, well within the sound of 700 people. Promise you. I've told you before, stay away from me. And then came this range of cursing, vile explicatives I've never heard. Most of them. And no one should ever hear or say. It was a horrific picture of the very progression that Jesus spoke of here. Now surely, something was going on. There was pre-relationship or pre-brokenness in between them. Okay, for my own life. It's kind of soft, but it's still, it's still, I think it's meaningful and helpful. This week I was leaving one of my daughter's neighborhoods and I was waiting behind another car to make a left-hand turn onto Grissom, a very uh, busy four-lane street. It's about 7 o'clock, so it was still busy traffic. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for this other car, and uh, the driver there was um, much more patient than I was. Uh, or uh, maybe they were intimidated. Maybe they weren't as aggressive as me. I don't know. Anyway, we were both waiting there for quite a while. Finally, finally. And I'm, I'm calm, cool, collected. I promise, I was. I, I really was. I was. Okay. Love you, Holy Spirit. Good to connect with you. I'm serious. That, that I was, I, I, this week, I had an exceptional week, and this is right in the middle of it. Those of you who heard my story this week about how except this was in the middle of it, so hang with me. Okay, so they, they finally made their left-hand turn, and I'm, I'm now watching. I'm now move up, and... I'm, I'm watching the traffic this way, and I'm watching the traffic that way, and I'm watching the traffic that way. and I'm You know how that goes, right? I mean, you're waiting, and there was. It was busy traffic. And finally, there's the opening. Finally, there's the opening. And I, I swing out to the left, and there's that same car parked in the middle median. And they're pulling into traffic where I was going to pull in. And now no longer was there space. I had to hit my brakes, not hit them. They had, I hadn't seen them. I'm doing this thing, right? I had never seen They had simply pulled 
immediately to the left in the center median, which is where I had to kind of go once when they... Anyway, you got the picture, right? And out of my mouth came, you silly willy. But immediately, the Holy Spirit reminded me that my heart was the very same as the guy at Hawaii. Maybe not with the vehemence for sure, nor the words, but it was the heart was the same. It was critical, it was judgmental, it's essentially calling them you idiot. Only it was nicer, silly willy. Oh, silly willy. And it really was kind of you silly willy. But there's still contempt, is there not? I want to conclude where we started. I believe Jesus is wishing to tell us in this passage that what's in our heart matters. Because what's in our heart is what's going to come out. In Proverbs 4, the writer is giving instructions to his son about life. And he says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life, either perishing or eternal. What this dad is essentially saying to his son is, what will come from your life is determined by what's in your heart. And it's our job to watch over our own heart. And with God, we have responsibility to do something about what's in our hearts. If we desire to live God's life rather than this perishing life, we're going to need to cooperate with God that we would be transformed, changed from the inside out. If you need some help or want some help with this, there is a great book I can highly recommend. It's called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. He does a great job at helping us with both identification and practices, ways to address our heart, if it is not all that it needs to be. And the answer, as we will see next week, is for our hearts to so experience the love, approval, and value that God has for us, that our heart would be transformed into His heart, loving, respecting, and valuing the treasure that all human beings are. Let's pray. Now my invitation to you this morning in this uh, moment of quietness is to reflect on where, what you're experiencing relative to your heart. 
You, you have the job with the Holy Spirit's empowerment to watch over your heart. So take a moment first simply to do some investigation, some review, some self-awareness. How's your heart doing in relationship with other people? Now I just invite you, is there a response that you may want to make to God? Do you want to pray? Do you want to invite him to join you? Do you want to confess how you've missed it? Just, as we used to say, do business with God right now for a minute. He's here with you. He's right with you. He's right here. Just tell him. Talk to him about your heart. Now lastly, if you're able, would you, would you simply ask God what he wants to say to you? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I believe that the Father would speak to you now, through the Son, through the Spirit. Papa, Jesus, Spirit, what do you want to say to me? Loving triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you for the life that you have provided to us and invited us into. Your very own life, your very own kingdom, your rule and reign of love. Let that kingdom come. Let that will of love in us and through us be done. Would you, we give you permission to help us, to work with us. that you would be loved well, that our family members would be loved well, and that those that are around us every day would be loved well. In Jesus' name, let it be so. Thanks for hanging out. Um, we'll have...
a few folks up here that would love to pray with you if something was stirred up or you came this morning with a challenge, a difficulty, would like someone to be with you, to pray with you, come alongside, we are here to do that. Thanks for coming. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.